Hey, so if you're listening to this, or you're not listening yet, but if you're listening to me talking, you're about to hear a lecture from Psychology, also Biology, 2606, Introduction to Behavioral Neuroscience for the fall term of 2023. How in the hell is it 2023? That means I'm 58 years old, and I imagine that makes me old. Anyway, I hope you enjoy this, but, uh, you know, if you're one of my students, great. Uh, I'm glad you're doing this, and I do this for you. If you're somebody else listening, I really don't care what you think, but uh, actually, it's pretty great because I'm really good at this. Enjoy. Well, it's a way, Lord, a way. It's what she said to me, it's why I'm gone. Since it is, that's right, I'm on the All right, so we left off talking about long-term potentiation and an NDA, a neuromodulator, that allows LTP to happen. Um, you block it, uh, NMDA, you block LTP. And you block this chemical. You block LTP, it blocks learning in a Morris water maze which made people think that maybe that was what this was, that the LTP was the sort of the substrate of the neural substrate of learning. Whoops, let's go back. Uh, but it's not, the world's not quite that simple. Uh, Deb Saussier, among others, found, she's the first person to find this, that if you do pre-training, uh, they don't, you can block LTP and they still find the little uh, platform. Now, that tells you that an LTP is probably important in learning, but it's not, it is not the way learning is encoded in the brain. Okay, so that's where we were. Let's move on a little bit. Talk about, a little bit about bird song. I find this interesting because I think birds are interesting. Uh, bird song is a fascinating system. Uh, we have a world level expert on bird and bird song in the biology department, Dr. Foote. Uh, and then you can take a look, there's this part of the brain um, they used to, it says HVC, it says higher vocal center. They don't really call it that anymore. They just call it HVC because they stopped calling it higher vocal center, but it doesn't stand for that anymore. It just stands for HVC. So HVC stands for HVC. Anyway, that part of the brain controls singing in males, male songbirds, and it controls, uh, yeah, it controls singing in male songbirds. So what happens is that it grows, as you can see here. Uh, yeah, let's see here. So what happens, it grows. Uh, and we get different kinds of song. We get the, as things come along, that's plastic song. This is when they're young. And once they're old enough, we get pretty stable song, okay? So, we also know that HVC grows as the seasons change. So when they start to have to sing, which is, they sing for, uh, it's territoriality and uh, it's a mating call. When you hear birds singing, those are male birds advertising to females that they are male. Okay? Sometimes there's other stuff too. Sometimes it's uh, telling other males, get away from here, this is my territory, that kind of thing. So that happens as well. Anyway, point is, 
uh, the singing happens in spring and it doesn't happen in fall. You'll notice now when you wake up in the morning, you don't hear songbirds singing, right? Because they don't sing this time of year. They make calls, but they don't sing. So you think about a chickadee, or if you're a chickadee dee dee, that's just a call. That happens all throughout the year. But you hear that thing, you don't hear that anymore. You start hearing it again in January. Anyway, the HVC grows in the spring and shrinks in the fall. Birds are incredibly efficient. They have to be because they, they fly, so they have to be as light as possible. Okay. Now, not a bomb men said, well, what about hippocampus? Let's look at hippocampus and let's look at birds uh, who store food, chickadees, and we can see the same kind of result here, which is that as we get to the food storing time of year, which is the fall and winter, hippocampus increases in size, but in the summer, it decreases in size. That's in food storing birds, not in you. But these are a couple cases with birds where we can directly look at the size and, de and, and neuronal density of a certain part of the brain, and it correlates beautifully with something behavioral. Okay. Questions about that? Yeah. Oh, please. How did they measure the brain size for that? Like, How do you mean? Like when they just cutting open a yeah. single bird's head at different times? Not just a single one. Oh, no, at different times. Oh, yeah, these are all different dead birds. Yeah, like different times. These are all different dead birds. Yeah, yeah you, you catch or kill them. Which is not something, by the way, that people do lightly, and it's also, they, that's not something you're get, given a permit for just because you want to. Like, you have to demonstrate that it's valuable that you're doing this, et cetera. Um, if you're concerned about birds being killed, you should be concerned about house cats and how they should never be allowed outside and they're horrible, horrible, murderous bastards. James? Would that be implied to That kind of thing, yeah, that's a good, that's a good point. So, um, would you talk about so, yeah, give me more detail. What do you mean? What would be important there? Uh, the depth of birds, like how they found out, uh, how they... You could say how it was measured, but I don't think you have to say that they were killed. I think we all know they were killed. They were put in a little bird MRI. There are little bird MRIs. They exist. I've seen one. Yes, John? So, uh, so what do, like, what kind of food do chickadees store in the fall? Oh, that's a good question. What kind of food do chickadees store in the fall and the winter? In the fall, a lot of times, uh, in the winter, there, there are a lot of seeds. A lot of seeds, a lot of things like uh, insects as well, grubs, little worms, things like that. That's what they eat. Now, it's an important, important thing to think of is, I'm going to go off a little bit of a tangent, but that's fine. Uh, if they have something that is, they can go bad, like, a, a, like an animal, like a, so, so an insect. They, they could go rotten. They could, right? They have a shelf life, whereas a seed really doesn't. So they have to not only know where they put something, they have to know when, which is pretty cool. And they can, I've uh, seen work with chickadees that I've seen work with, scrub jays, uh, that, know, that shows that the, chick, the scrub jays actually know when they stored something, also where. And one would assume this is the case as well with chickadees. So that's kind of cool. Yeah. And you have to know, like, so if it's, a, if it's a seed, you should recover it. It, it, that, that's pretty shelf stable, if you want to call it that. Uh, whereas with a, uh, some piece of, of, of an animal, it's not. There are food storing birds that store animals too. Like there are, you know what a shrike is? You ever heard of a shrike? It's a kind of, 
got a bird. It's a predatory bird. The bird prey, but you know what else it is? It's a food store. They impale their prey on steaks. Got a look on your face like you know that on yeah, okay. Uh, it's weird that I can see that from here, because we're only that quick. But it's a bird thing, and I think we just go through. Uh, yeah, so yeah, shrikes are crazy. Yeah, pretty great. So they're food stores, but they're, what they store are like mice impaled on steaks. It's like they're really weird medieval tyrants. Okay, so let's just finish this stuff up before we get into the drug stuff. Um, most of the interesting activity to me and I think probably to you because I'm thinking of behavioral stuff, in the nervous system takes place at the synapse. Um, this is where the electrical goes chemical. This is also where learning may be happening. It probably is happening somewhere at the synapse. Probably somewhere. There's still a lot to learn about how learning works in the brain. Uh, it's not something we know yet. This is something that your more biological neuroscience people will say, yeah, we know that. And the psychologists are like, no, you don't. It's not that simple. We don't all jump like that. That's just me. Uh, and remember that gap is, synapse just means gap. It's nothing special. And never say synaptic gap because you're being redundant. And that, see, because Athens is the capital of Greece and synapse is a Greek word. All right. That was a little funny, funny joke. All right. But on to the main event. So what I want to talk about for today and the next eh, probably three classes at least, drugs and hormones. Now, remember, we will not be having a class a week from today. There is no class next Wednesday. No class next Wednesday. There is one Monday. There is not one Wednesday. There is not one on November the 1st. There is one on October the 30th. I've now said this three different ways. Hopefully this is the end. Loss of you will be an email sent, etc. So let's talk about drugs. What is a drug? I don't know. First of all, I guess it's something that all comes up at once. Um, and the most common thing you're going to hear people say is, well, I know what a drug is. And yeah, of course. And we do that all the time. Um, and of course, if it's just you and I talking and it's outside of this kind of situation, it doesn't matter. We both know what a drug is. Right? So if I say that I was taking drugs yesterday, you know what I mean. You know I mean probably some psychoactive drug. I probably don't mean Cipro. Uh, problem is, that's not going to help us. Scientifically, we like, we like definitions that, you know, we like operational definitions, we like definitions of things, and we can say, I know what that is, and it's one of those and not one of those. So maybe we can come up with something. One you hear a lot is it alters physiology, but it is not food. Yeah, okay, I kind of like that, and that's a very common one. Sometimes you just hear alters physiology, but that also, of course, includes food. The problem with this is vitamins, then, aren't food. Yet, they alter your physiology. Uh, oxygen. Is oxygen a drug? Well, we would all go, no. And we probably most of us say that vitamin C wasn't a drug. You might have it in your medicine chest, but it's probably. 
you would think of it that way. Some of these things, now, and in fact, almost anything, if you get enough of a dose, we think was poisons. Right? So, I don't know, what's some examples there? Well, uh, I don't know, gasoline and mugwort. One of the examples I had. Gasoline, you know what gasoline is. A mugwort is a, an herb that uh, can cause, well, it used to be part of a cocktail people were given to give themselves abortions. Uh, it also can cause hallucinations. It also, if you take enough of it, it will kill you. So it gets to the point where it's like, I, maybe you don't need a definition. And I say that because I can't come up with one. Um, we all know what it means. It's going to kind of have to do, which really bothers me. But it, it's, you know, it's the same thing as, I mean, uh, what happens a lot of times in psychology, because we have a lot of uh, concepts that have sort of fuzzy inputs and fuzzy outputs, instead of something very direct, we just define things by how you measure them, right? So if someone says, what is intelligence? And I say, it's just scoring an IQ test. And someone goes, well, I don't think that's, I don't care what you think. I told you my definition of it. That'll work. We can agree on that. It's hard to do here. So we're going to have to just deal with, some, you know, deal with it being intuitive, and that's just life. Uh, I don't like it, but that's the way it is. Okay. I just said that. Why is it doing that again? All right. Um, what if you take it not to treat anything? You take it as some drug, not to treat anything, and, or not to get high in any way. <clears throat> so Coke, and I mean Coca-Cola here, obviously, not cocaine. No one takes cocaine because of the... Well, I like the way this one tastes. Uh, or coffee. Now, I am drinking coffee now because, I don't know, I think I'm contractually obligated to. I think professors have to drink coffee when they lecture. I think it's a job. I think it's a job. It's in my contract. I'm probably drinking this for the effects of the caffeine, but also I just like the taste of coffee. I would just as easily drink good decaf. Um, like when you go to McDonald's and you get a Coke, are you thinking to yourself, excellent, you're going to get a caffeine hit? Usually not. Usually, like, that goes well with fries. You know what I mean? While there may be a small effect there, it's not horribly noticeable. Especially if you're a caffeine user. The most, most uh, used psychoactive drug in, geez, the world? Yeah, probably in the world is caffeine. Because every, every culture drinks coffee. Everybody has alcohol, nobody smokes. Uh, a few years ago, probably was still was still nicotine. I'm pretty sure it's caffeine. So everybody, if, if you have any kind of caffeine tolerance at all, which I'm sure almost all of us do, having a cup of coffee probably is not a big deal. You're not taking it to get high, right? Like when you go have a cup of coffee, never had in days, and I'm sure you all have them too, where you're like, I better have a cup of coffee, I'll fall asleep. This was me on Monday. Between classes, it's like, I gotta have a cup of coffee, or I'm literally going to fall asleep. Which isn't bad, except I probably sleep in my class that was coming up. I can just close my door. I got a couch in my office. I'm not ashamed to say I have had naps. But I'm also not ashamed to say I never slept through a class. <laughs> so I can't do that. 
So in that case, yeah, I'm taking the coffee to have, you know, to, to, to wake up. But typically, I'm not. If you say to somebody, want to get a coffee, are you saying that because you want the psychoactive effect of caffeine? Almost certainly not. You're like, this is a, a social lubricant. Um, it's into a beer, right? One beer. You mow the lawn. You look in the fridge, it's like, there is a cold beer there. I will not drink that beer. I am not drinking it for the alcohol. It may be a small effect of the alcohol, but mostly I'm drinking it because it's refreshing. So an intuitive definition is going to kind of have to do here, because even things we know that are drugs, or drug vehicles, sometimes they aren't. You're not taking them as drugs. All right. So we're going to have to just deal with the definition of, yeah, we all know what we mean. So drugs can have different names. Here's, a, here's one of my favorites. Well, I have a favorite drug name, I'm sure. 7-chloro-1-3-dihydro-1-methyl-5-phenol-2-H1-4-benzodiazepine-2-1, which obviously is very helpful. We all now know what that is. I'm sure you've all taken tons of organic chemistry and could now draw me that molecule. Uh, that doesn't help me very much. And in fact, you'll even see some of you will probably choose drug-based articles for your paper. Uh, you'll see that they won't be using this, or they'll use it once, because the first time they'll tell you it's diazepam. This is diazepam. Diazepam, um, well, it looks like that. That's the molecule, I'm sure, again, very helpful. I love when they show those molecule diagrams. Oh, well, now I know what it is. But, so, then there's trade names of drugs, and that's the, the names that we know when we see drug ads, right? Or a lot of time when you talk about them among, you know, again, in popular parlance. So diazepam is called Valium. Okay. And philoxetine is Prozac. All right. So this, 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 this. Okay. You won't typically use trade names. Trade names have capital letters. They're, they're, they're proper nouns. Which is interesting because it should tell you that heroin is a trade name. Heroin should always be still with a capital H. It's a trade name. It's a drug developed by the Bayer Company. The same people that invented aspirin invented heroin. Well, so it's actually a trade name. It was developed as a commercial drug as a painkiller, which it is. It does a lot of other stuff too, but it's a painkiller. All right. So we also let's think about dosages. Different dosage sizes have different effects on different people, animals, etc. Especially if they weigh different amounts. So uh, I'm looking for a not very large woman. Okay, yeah. How much can you, alcohol can you drink before you feel like you feel hammered? I don't mean just a little bit. I mean like you're wasted. Not I mean, you could also be, could be you don't drink. In which case, I've never gotten. I don't, really, I don't. think I've ever. You've never been really. <laughs> good for you because that's not. It's not that much fun. How much? How much do you feel it? Like if they have glasses. I'm actually really sensitive to the heat of alcohol, so I can drink like, uh, what's it called? I can drink kombucha, my head will feel warm. 
Really? But you can't get drunk from that, so I don't know why. You could, you just have to have so much that you probably can't. It would be, be, you have to make an effort. I'm a bad person to ask this question. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, I need another small woman who actually drinks alcohol. Anybody here? Any small women who drink? Yeah, there you go. So, how many, how many beers do you have to have? Do you drink beer? No. Okay, what do you drink? I drink mixed drinks. Okay, good. How many drinks do you have? Uh, probably three or four. Okay, because I can have like 11. Um, <laughs> and still function totally, he can tell me, yeah, don't, don't, don't corroborate it. Um, <laughs> But yeah, so not 11 is a little high, but I could have, I could have do that in uh, and I could probably have about 11 drinks in the night and wake up the next morning and come to work. <laughs> it's not a good idea, but I can do it. And I'm not saying I haven't done it, because that would be a lot. Um, I'm a lot bigger than you, right? I'm just a bigger person than uh, you're a woman, I'm a man, so hormonal environments in our bodies are different. You're 21? 20? 19. 19. Holy shit. <laughs> like a child. And it's like you, you don't even be able to vote. So you haven't voted every year of your life, right? Yeah, twice. How? There's been two elections. I have an early birthday and there's been two Oh, okay. Okay. So you have two elections in there? Yeah. Uh, oh, yeah. They've been in a city and a province. Okay. Yeah. That makes sense. Uh, okay, you're really much younger than me. <laughs> like, I'm literally 40, almost 40 years older than you. That's going to play with All these things together, we're very different people, is the point I'm trying to make here. And alcohol affects me differently than it affects you. I've got, I've got way more practice than you. And <laughs> I'm older, and I have different sex, and bigger, uh, our body fat, uh, I probably have less than you just because you're a woman. Uh, yeah, and we can go on and on and on. so many differences. So what we have to do is find a way to standardize this. The biggest difference is gonna be the fact that I weigh 85 kilos. Or not quite 85, but 82. I didn't weigh myself today. So about 100, what's that, about 175 pounds, something like that. Big difference. So the amount that I, I can drink more is because there's more of me. So we have to standardize it. The way we're going to standardize this is we're going to look at milligrams per kilogram. And if you look at milligrams per, per kilogram, milligrams of alcohol per kilograms of person, we're, it's probably actually pretty similar. I could probably still drink more than you because I'm a guy and I've literally had more practice. So there's a thing called behavioral tolerance that we will talk about in the next few days. Uh, and behavioral tolerance isn't just is, is the idea that you can actually be drunk or be high and people don't know because you have a lot of practice at it. And you'll hear this a lot when people, uh, one sec for both of you, you'll hear this a lot from people who, when someone says, you know, it turns out I'm an alcoholic, people go, what? Oh, I'm drunk all the time. What? Yeah, I just hide it. And I've had friends, I had a friend who, and I'm not, I'm gonna be as big as I can be so you can't identify this person. You used to have a, a can of Coke on their desk, but it was vodka. And they just drank all day. And they were functional in their job. But a drunk. Like, messy, slurry drunk when they weren't 
making a point of not being like that. And not, you know, you remember when you're like that, like 16, you come home drunk and your parents were you been, I have been out. It was a very good time. I am now going to bed. I am speaking clearly. You're thinking, oh yeah, I got through with that. You know, I'm going to tell you, as a parent, we know we're not stupid. And we can also smell alcohol. Yep. Anything. So, like, if a doctor's prescribing medication, they typically don't. They would. They would. They would. Know. Would that be like milligram for milligram, and it would almost be like the maximum amount they could give you? They would. They, they would still be knowing the amount to uh, the size of the of the of the dose to give you. So while they wouldn't say take this many milligrams, like they they frankly what they typically do is they look things up because they can't keep all this in their head. Uh, and say, okay, we've got a woman here, she's got this thing, she's this age, there's the dose. And they say, okay, we need 100 milligrams of whatever every so many hours. Maybe the full state of that. Is that also totally varies based on the actual drugs? Yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah the drug matters too, because, you know, uh, yeah, the drug would matter as well. You had a question, John. So, um, so, so what does, um, does kilograms mean on tape? You're taking coffee or a Coke? Oh, yeah, it doesn't matter. This is milligrams of the drug, whatever the drug is. Could, yeah. So it could be caffeine, could be alcohol, could be cannabis, it could be anything. Yeah. Kilograms is your, your body weight. Yeah, that's right. Okay, makes sense? Okay, mm -hmm. good. So we're gonna standardize it that way. That's one way to do it. Uh, there are somewhat other ways, uh, which we'll talk about as we go along. Okay, how are we gonna plot this stuff up? We use what are called dose-response curves. So we pick some variable as a response. Okay, we pick some variable as a response. And we plot that response as a function of dose. Okay. So one drink, as it says here, and I'm relaxed. Four drinks, and I would say maybe I'm a little tipsy, I can feel it. And maybe at eight, I'm relaxed again. And by relaxed, I mean, you know, you're pushing past everything. So, speaking of caffeine, uh, oops, there we go. So if we plotted something like this out, so there's the response, here's the dose, okay. Now, I don't know, what are we gonna measure here? We could probably just go with heart rate. We could, so let's go with heart rate. That's a good measure of relaxation. Probably goes like that. Right? Yeah, it should look something like that. It's not gonna be quite that pretty but it's gonna look something like that. Okay. So that shape is very common in those response curves, that sort of inverted U uh, or uh, inverted parabola, if you want to call that. Or I can go the other way, depending on what you're measuring. So that's, that's a very common shape in those response curves. So you'll see that a lot. Uh, in fact, here's a couple of those response curves now. Uh, right. This is good because we've got both, a, we got doses, 
We got responses. Now the response here, what did they pick? These are, I think, mice. They must be mice. Um, and what we're measuring here is activity level. How the hell do you measure activity level with mice? Well, it's actually not that hard. What you do is you get a, you get a yeah, something about this size of this table, maybe twice as wide, about the size of a four by eight sheet of plywood. And what, it, what, you, what you used to do was you paint a grid on it. And you just put the animal down and you video it and every time it crosses a line, you, that's, that counts as one. In some period of time, and then you see how many times they cross the lines in whatever time period. It's not done like that anymore. What you do now is you get little photo cells and you just do it automatically and a computer counts how many times the photo cells were broken. It's the same principle, obviously. Um, so this would be activity level. Here we're using, this is nose poke? Yeah. What is nose poke? One of the things that rats and mice will do is they will poke their nose into holes to investigate. So you put a photo beam in the, in the hole and you see how many times the rat puts his, his nose in the hole. It's really decent. And that's investigative behavior. Uh, it's classic, right? So what do we have? That's, there's our responses. This is activity level or nose poke. And our, that's our responses. Our doses are down here. This is mor uh, morphine milligrams per kilogram you can see here and this is kind of interesting note how isn't morphine a depressant doesn't it slow you down yes of course it does then why is there more activity when you've given more morphine yeah you in this case is a rat by the way why does the rat why is the rat more active when it gets morphine shouldn't it be less active Thoughts? Please. Just a guess. Is that a that's, rat trying to work it off? That's, that's a neat guess. Though? Probably not. Jeff. Is it trying to maintain that level of whatever's going on? Don't worry. Don't think what the rat's trying to do. It's not trying to do anything. John. So what does uh, Morphe Plus do with the chart? Uh, we'll get there. What, why, why, is the, why, is, why is it But why is it running around more when it gets more Morphe? And then it drops off precipitously. Yeah. yeah. So what? Any other thoughts? Anybody else? Anybody else? Nobody has a thought? Please. At lower doses, it has stimulating effects. Okay, that's, it clearly does. Why? Okay. Why do you think that happens? Why is it at, and until you do a very high dose, then the animal stops. I think we can all know why a rat stops moving when it's given lots of morphine. It's strung out on morphine. Is it supposed to slow you? What? Because it inhibits inhibition. Yeah, that's right. See, she said it. It's a taming effect, we call that. That's a taming effect. Oh, well, now you know it isn't. That's great. Uh, so a taming effect, what a taming effect is, is it sort of tames the animal. They're normally out on a big open thing. You think rats and mice are like, hey, look at me. Birds want to eat me? I'm out here in an open area. I'm an all-you-can-eat buffet. So they typically don't do that. But if that inhibition is inhibited, they run around more. So that's what's happening here. But then eventually it's like, okay, that's enough. 
and it just shuts them down. So then, John, you asked, what's going on here with the plus? Yeah. Yeah. What these here are, this is what they're given, they're the little, the shaded ones, they're given naloxone and morphine. Naloxone blocks morphine. And because it blocks it, you can see it's pretty stable. And we get roughly the same effect here with nose blocks. So what, what I'm saying is that this is basically how you will always see drug effects on independent variables like, well, we have a nose probe, we've got running around, like, so just activity. You use all kinds of things. And then we'll see the effect. Oh, there it is. Okay. <laughs> it's probably where I left my copy. Oops. Sorry about that. Is it where we Okay. Now let's think about the effectiveness of a drug. We've got a couple of quantities here. One is ED50 and one is LD50. ED50 is the effective dose for 50% of the population. So the effective dose for 50% of the population. That's probably going to be subjective, right? When we're talking about psychoactive drugs, in our case here, this is probably subjective. It's like, do you feel high? <laughs> yes. Okay, that's easy. That's you're right. 50% for you. Now, if it's pain, let's say it's using it as a painkiller. We can that you can measure. There's a lot of ways to measure pain. A very simple one with, with a rat is it's called the Pollock test. You put the rat on a hot plate. Don't worry. You put the rat on a hot plate at about 50 degrees Celsius. So it's not like it's going to burn the animal. It's not going to harm it in any way. But it's not pleasant. It's like if you lean on a car in the sun. But it's not nearly as hot as your car. If you have a dark colored car gets in the sun. Like it's not, it's unpleasant, but it's not damaging in any way. And you see how long it takes for the rat goes. And so it's like it's hot. And as soon as it does that, you take it off and break down the number. That's the Pollock test. Uh, with people, how can we measure pain? You can use a thing called dolorimeter, which is the pressure device, and usually use it on the forearm, and push down until the person goes says, ouch. Until they say, it hurts. And then you may look at what the, what the pressure was. A friend of mine did some work like this as an undergrad. Uh, he was testing all kinds of people. I had the lowest pain threshold of anybody in this study. So I'm pretty proud of that. Uh, everything hurts. So that's the effect of those for 50% of the population. This is obviously then going to be somewhat subjective. Because even with people reporting their pain, that's still you reporting it to me, and some people are idiots. That I can take. Yeah, keep pushing that pain into my arm. Because people are idiots. Most of those people, by the way, I'm referring to are guys. Women don't behave like that. Men are idiots. Um, as a rule. We have other things we do well, but we idiots, we do really well. Yeah, John. So, uh, does lethal dose um, yeah. put on 50% uh, of the population, mm. non-lethal dose, 100%? No. The lethal dose, well, was the lethal dose for 100% of the population, that'd be enough to kill everybody. Yeah. So the lethal dose for 50% of the population is the amount that would kill half the people. Like, it wouldn't kill everybody, that dose, but it's enough that it would kill half of the people. This is not subjective. This is something you can measure, yes. Yeah. Population, is that just everyone in yeah. the whole world, or is it 
So it's not divided by sex. Oh, it could be. Yeah, it could be. It could be done for people in their 20s who are living here, or it could be everybody in the world. It depends on what that population is. It would yes. probably be specified. It would, yeah, those things are specified, yeah. So that's obviously not subjective. You just, and this is typically done in, in an animal work. You typically don't get human volunteers and says, chance you're gonna die in this experiment. But you'll get 3% for your final grade, so. <laughs> so these apparently are only funny for me. Uh, right. So what we can do is we can look at the therapeutic index of a drug, and the higher that index, the safer the drug. So the LD50 divided by the ED50. The LD50 divided by the ED50. So the bigger the number, the safer the drug. Because if this is a really big number, and this is a really small number, it's probably a pretty safe drug. So if you look at something like the therapeutic index for alcohol is about a that's about four and a half. So what I'm saying is about four times, between four and five times the amount that you would drink to get drunk, if you drink that in the same amount of time, it can kill you. Alcohol is really dangerous. And I'm not, by the way, I'm not some prohibition for, I think all drugs should be But I can also tell you that alcohol is incredibly dangerous. It's, it's fine when you're doing it, you know, but if you're an idiot who's like funneling vodka, it'll kill you. Yeah, James? Is that the only thing that they test for? Like the lethal dose? They must test for more things than that. Well, first of all, who are they? Uh, <laughs> Oh, no, no, that's not done by that. That's, you know, it's, yeah, that's not the only thing someone would test for, but if this is a way to measure safety in a drug. But yeah, so it wouldn't be the only thing that would be measured. So alcohol's, alcohol's actually got a higher, sorry, a lower therapeutic index than heroin. It's just easier to overdose on heroin because it comes in a smaller package. But the amount you ingest, is, it's easier to overdose on uh, alcohol. Whereas like uh, THC, is, it, that's, it's virtually, um, the therapeutic index here is almost infinite. Uh, same thing for LSD. You can't overdose on LSD. Well, you probably can, but the amount you have to ingest, you couldn't. You'd need like shovels full of this stuff. Like, you wouldn't want to take that much acid. So some things are a lot safer than things, that's all. But yeah, alcohols. If we were redoing society, <laughs> be like, okay, all the alcohol is illegal, the other drugs are fine. Let's just control those, keep the alcohol away from people. That's, I swear to God, that's what we do. Okay. So if we're comparing two drugs then, this, these, these things allow us to compare two drugs. Find the ED50 for two, for two drugs that do the same kind of thing. Let's say painkillers. Uh, the one with the lower ED50 is more potent. And then efficacy 
or effectiveness is the, the maximum amount of effect the drug will have. So morphine versus ASA. ASA is, uh, you know, uh, aspirin. Morphine is more effective than ASA, and it's also more potent than ASA. See, at some level, like if you've ever been in hospital and they give you some kind of drug for, say, post-surgical pain, you might get an opiate. Uh, they're not going to give you Tylenol for that, right? They're not going to give you Tylenol for that. You know, if it's a small thing where they just had to do a little incision and do something and fix it and it's done and it's outpatient, you probably did just get fun of it. Because they haven't been moving around your inside doing stuff. Right? So small surgical procedures, or, or you know, I, I broke my leg, uh, gee, almost, wow, almost, almost four years ago. Jesus, it seems like yesterday. Um, and I wasn't given morphine or anything. Uh, I, I, I took time off and uh, CBD. I remember the doctor said to the physician, he says to me, so what are you doing to manage the pain? I said, Tylenol and weed oil. He said, good. Worked fine. So the first few months, the first six weeks of that, the pandemic thing, remember when that started? I was lying in my bed with my leg up in a cast, watching TV shows on my iPad stoned for like six weeks. So I did. It was great. Everybody else went, oh, the world's collapsing. And I'm like, yeah, but I'm watching Babylon 5. It's pretty great. It's always good to watch Babylon 5. Right. Hmm, this looks like it's going to maybe come up all at once as well. There's some more key terms. So primary or main effects versus secondary or side effects, it's completely about your matter of perspective. Matter of perspective, your point of view. If you're taking morphine to deal with pain, then the pain killing is a main effect, the analgesia, that just means pain killing. That's the main effect. And the side effect is being stumped, being hot. It may be fun. No, not everybody finds that fun. My, my mother, I know my mother broke her, broke her foot maybe about 20 years ago, and she's like, they gave me uh, coding pills. I said, well, that's the one fun thing. The upside is you can take opiates, mom, enjoy. And she was like, oh, I hate it. I feel like I'm flying. I said, no, that's fun. You're missing the point of drugs. That's a good time. She's like, no, I hate it. It's very unpleasant. Okay, it's fine. Can I have your drugs? Um, but, so if you're taking it for the pain, the being high is a side effect. If you're taking it for fun, then the pain killing is a side effect. It's completely based on your point of view. So if I take, like I, I, I take uh, Wheel it's fun. I enjoy it. I like being stoned. It's a really good time. Uh, it also makes things that seem palatable, food seem more palatable than it is. Also very strange combinations. Hey look, if I took these cookies and covered them in icing and peanut butter, that makes them even better, right? Well, I should probably have some pizza along I've done these things. These are all things I've done. Um, so that's fun, but there's also a side effect there that I still do get pain in my leg and that the pain goes down. 
So I don't take it at work because you think there's a lot of asides and just random things I say now. Just imagine if I was high. Uh, <laughs> it would be worse. But when I do it, when I take it at night just for a good time because I want to watch TV a little bit, a little bit baked, uh, I'm not doing that because it's helping my leg. I'm doing that because I want to watch TV a little bit baked. Because like, you know, this show's way funnier stoned. There's certain shows that aren't funny at all when you're not lying. Right? Anyway, there's a long list of those and I could give you some recommendations. So yeah, and if you don't know who Quicksilver Messenger Services, I don't care. They were a band. All right, let's talk about some more key terms. Uh, agonists and antagonists, I oh, talked a little bit about this earlier in the course. An agonist is something, in this case, it's going to be a drug that causes something to happen. And an antagonist stops it from, that the drug from working or stops something else from happening. So opiates, let's go with, let's, let's go with morphine. Morphine is an uh, endorphin agonist. It takes the place of of endorphins. In fact, it, it binds to the receptor site and opens the ion channel. It is the same chemicals. How else could an agonist work? It could, so it can make, it can mimic a drug, or sorry, mimic a neurotransmitter, let's say. What else could it do? How else could a, a, a drug make something behavioral happen. Oh, yes, I think uh, beer. Can a beer make a, uh, people uh, high or something? Well, not one can. I would, again, we'd go back to the effective dose. The right. Well, how, how, could how could this work? Well, what about making the neuron make more of the neurotransmitter? Right? What about stopping reuptake? All these things act as agonists. An antagonist stops the effect. So naloxone, which uh, sadly we've all learned a lot about naloxone in the last 10 years since the opioid crisis. Um, naloxone is an opiate antagonist. It blocks opiates, but it actually, but it doesn't open the ion channel. It takes up, but it takes up the space in the binding site. You could do that. What about maybe just an antagonist that goes in and, and, and destroys the neurotransmitters in the synapse. You could do that. There's a lot of ways this can work. Drugs can have a couple of kinds of effects. One of them are additive effects, and the other are called super additive effects. Hmm. So an additive effect is just like it sounds. The amount of whatever this, thing, this of drug A is doing and the amount of drug B is doing, we add them together. Like if we could think of some kind of scale, which we could do, and we said that, you know, so we got drug A, we have drug B, and how high does drug A make you? Uh, seven. <laughs> I don't know what seven's measuring. It's highness, and is B is three. So if we take A and B together, if we have an additive effect, obviously we get 10. Now if you have a super additive effect, it's still 7 and 3, but it's about 26. 
I'm like, how in the hell is 7 and 3 26? Because it's not math, that's why I help you. So there are drugs, I mean, in fact, it's extremely common to have psychopathic superadded effects. Uh, a classic here, one you've probably all heard about, are uh, tranquilizers of any sort. So barbiturates, basically, when you think about those, uh, muscle relaxants, stuff like that, and alcohol. Um, you know Robaxacets, you know those sort of drug, muscle relaxant drugs you can buy over the counter? There's a warning on them, not taking of alcohol. Heed that warning. It can kill you when you take it with alcohol. Uh, I, we used to live in Cornbrook, Newfoundland, which has more snow than any other city or town in Canada, and I'm not making that up. We, we get typically four meters of snow a year. You have no idea what snow is. You, you, you've never seen snow. You think it snows here? <laughs> um, it, typically, you'd wake up in the morning. I remember once waking up in the morning with a little baby. You woke up, because you woke up early, because babies do that. And I woke up with them at 5.30 in the morning, looked at, oh, it's a nice day, and it's going to be great. And at 8 o'clock in the morning, I'll walk to work. And by 8 o'clock, 57 years of snow had fallen, and they canceled school. That was a common occurrence. So you'd be shoveling the driveway a lot. And I remember I, I, got, I hurt my back, and I got some back sets. Told, told this to a friend of mine, he said, oh, you've got to be careful with those, with the alcohol. I said, oh, I know that. I wouldn't take any alcohol. He said, yeah, because a friend of his, he called one night, and he said, he was just checking to see how his bad back was doing, and he said, oh, he called him, and his friend said, are you okay? I had a couple of drinks. Uh-oh. Now, he had like two drinks and two muscle relaxant pills, and he was like incoherent. So it sounded like he had about 12 drugs. Why does this happen? Well, without, with alcohol and, and barbiturates, for example, they use some of the same metabolic pathways. So if the metabolic pathway is taking care of, let's say A is alcohol, it now can't take care, can't break down B, in this case, is our barbiturates. Oh, look at that, alcohol barbiturates. That's, I didn't even mean to do that, and I did it. Uh, now it can't break this down, so it's, this stays in the system longer and can have more effect. Does that make, does that make sense? So that happens. That happens. So you have to be really careful mixing drugs. The biggest thing, I swear to God, the biggest thing, that just don't ever mix your drugs. I don't care what you take, don't mix them. You're adults, take all the drugs you want. I mean, I mean again, this is one of those cases where... Go ahead. Take any drugs, I don't care. But, don't mix them. Stupid. You could die. Just be careful. Be careful. We've got a pretty good selection of legal drugs in this country now that you probably don't need the illegal. You don't really need to go get cocaine. This is more like caffeine pills. It's the same effect. Uh, don't mix drugs. It's, it can be extremely dangerous. It's extremely rare, in fact, when it's additive. They're almost always super additive. And there's a lot of reasons for that, but one, as I said, is sometimes the same metabolic pathways used for two different drugs. And this is why, for example, when you go to a physician, they say, okay, what do you need for, um, here, I'm going to write you a prescription, and then, then they'll say, All right, let's see what else you're taking. Are you taking any other drugs? And they look that up, and they want to make sure because there's drug interactions, and they, don't, they can't know them all, so they'll look it up in a book. I never feel, I've heard people say, I can't believe it, my doctor had to look something up. 
Oh, they tried to find out current information. Oh, that's good. Yeah. I like that. Yeah, John. So, uh, when you're super addictive to uh, super any, additive, yes, super additive to any uh, drug you have, mm. do, do you get really, really drunk in the morning? Oh, you had too many drinks. Yes, if you've had too many, yes. If you're super, what would happen in this case then is, if you had, like I was saying, the example there, if you had taken say a muscle relaxant, say a barbiturate, and a couple of drinks, it would seem like you've taken 20. <coughs> yep. uh, can you explain again how using the same metabolic pathway stops it from being sure. broken down? Okay, so uh, if they're both using, there's only so much, think of it, uh, let's use an analogy here, it's like a highway. Okay. So it's like a highway, only so many cars can get on the highway before it stops. So if the highway's full of alcohol, it can't deal with barbiturates. The barbiturates then remain in your bloodstream and they'll get broken down. Make sense? I mean, that's simplifying it because basically it's going to. Okay, good. Other questions? Yes? What makes something qualify as an additive? Or, well, I guess, would it just be if it's the same channel that it's going into? It's, a, it's not the only zero. reason. It's not the only reason things can be super additive. Sometimes it's, it's the same metabolic pathway, sometimes it's one drug causes what's called enzyme induction. So it actually causes a, an enzyme to be produced that stops the other drug being broken down. It can be enzyme depression. So you take one drug and the other drug, uh, because you don't have a certain, again, certain enzyme isn't produced as much because of the drug effect. So it causes the, the breakdown of the other drug not to happen as quickly. There's all kinds of possible things. So like, additive effects would just be like taking Tylenol. Tylenol and which? Yeah, that, yeah, that's, that's a good example actually. Yeah, because then it's something you can do. You can take, uh, because uh, acetaminophen, the, what, but a thousand milligrams every four hours is the kind of thing you get. I think it says in the, or maybe 500 on the, on the side of the bottle, but you could take, the other, you could, you could take two different painkillers, I think, I want to be, uh, remember I'm not that kind of doctor, I'm a real doctor, I wrote a thesis. Um, yeah, so it, it, it's, you got to be really careful with that stuff, but yeah, I've, I've heard that, Advil and Tylenol, for example. I remember when I, when I broke my leg, that was one of the things that I said, I said you could you could take two different kinds of, yeah. just don't do, because when I went in with, with my leg, I actually said, she said, you take anything? I said, well, 1,500 milligrams of Tylenol. She said, you shouldn't have done that. I said, oh, I'm aware it's a bad idea, but do you understand the amount of pain I'm in? <laughs> yeah, I know it's a bad idea. James, yes. Um, so you or said, James, oh, yeah. So you said the same metabolic pathway, Could be. depression, and what was the third one? Mm. What did, oh, enzyme induction and enzyme depression. So sometimes you get more of an enzyme, sometimes the other drug causes less of an enzyme. Mm -hmm. But both of those have effects on the metabolism of both drugs. No. So almost always it's going to be super additive. But the question is, is it super additive enough that you, you care? Right? Like, does it matter or not is the key thing here. So just, yeah, like I'm saying, just be careful. If you take drugs, and I'm, you know, I think probably all of you do at some level, just try not to mix them up too much. Try not to mix them up. Especially when they're drugs you buy from bad people. No, I'm serious. Think about who you buy drugs from that isn't cannabis or alcohol or cigarettes. You buy them from criminals. Like it's, 
They aren't trustworthy. You didn't have a return policy. They're literally, like, definitionally criminals. So the guy you get your meth from probably doesn't have a deal where you go, well, that wasn't that good. Well, you're right. Uh, next time I'll give you a discount. That doesn't happen. You can't call them for customer support if you're screwed up. <laughs> so just be careful. Don't mix your drugs. Okay. How does that, the drugs get in? Aha. If you're injecting, which I don't think most of us probably do, maybe some of you do, I don't know. I don't judge. Though if you're an IV drug user, probably try a different way. Um, you need saline as a vehicle. Uh, so you might have a subcutaneous. That's just below the skin. The names tell you what they are. So subcutaneous is below the skin. This is, that's not usually how you're taking drugs for fun. Very slow absorption here. Intramuscular, that's into a muscle. So usually your butt, because it's a big piece of muscle. Again, we don't take drugs that way for fun. Those aren't, because again, the, the, you want, what do you want? You want, it to, you want absorption to be fast. You want it to hit you. So you want fast absorption. If you have to take fast absorption, you, you want it, you know, you don't want to be doing an IM uh, injection. Intraperitoneal, well, you're not going right into your gut. That's not something that's trivial to do. You have to go through all the, all the stuff. So that's not like something people do. Again, this is something you would do. This is in a therapeutic sense. Intravenous. Now, again, if you are a mainline drug user, this would be how you would take it. You find the vein. That's going to be fast. That is some kind of fast acting drugs. So, again, heroin users will do that when they're injecting because they want to get the. The, 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 we want to get the drug to your brain. And you want it to all get there quickly because you're taking it for fun. If you're taking it for some therapeutic effect, one of these is probably better. And it'll still work. Like you can take morphine, uh, IP injections of morphine, they use that, the, the military use uh, these little things called surrettes and just they're at a little point in the end, and a medic can just snap, slap it on your arm uh, or your shoulder or anywhere, and it will just, it's morphine. But they don't have to look for a vein. That's just an IM injection. Now, intraventricular, right into the ventricles of the heart, or the ventricles of the brain, I suppose. Again, we're not doing this ourselves. This would be in, in a research situation. And these are going from slowest absorption to fastest absorption. These all get into the bloodstream via diffusion, except obviously intravenous ones because they go right into the vein. Uh, inhalation works the same way. So when you uh, suck on a cigarette or uh, a joint, or from a bong or whatever, however you uh, enjoy your cannabis, uh, the smoke gets in your lungs, which gets to your brain very quickly. That can be gases or solids. Well, orally depends on the lipid solubility of the drug. The more lipid soluble a drug is, the more that's fat soluble, uh, the more quickly it will get into your bloodstream. But it can be very slow, right? 
So when I take uh, THC oil, I know how much time I have to take before it's like, I want to this, I want to feel stoned at this time. I will take it now. Right? And it's always like, I find it's always like this with that stuff. It's always like, it's not doing anything. It's not doing anything. It's not doing Oh, there it is. But it takes a while. Whereas, you know, vaping some THC, there it is. <laughs> it happens right away. Ionized molecules are not absorbed, and the rate of, of absorption from taking something and going into your gut is constant. So it's a longer term thing. I haven't smoked cannabis in ages, so I, I Jesus, I can't remember the last time I did that. Maybe when it, when it first became legal there in 2017. Is that 2017? I think it was. I think I did then. Yeah, I did then, that's right, because my wife and I bought some the day it became legal. And then I smoked half, not even half, a third of a joint ahead. That was a long bit, I was, I was immobile. And I was just lying on the couch doing this. <laughs> and I kept doing these, and my wife was like, why are you doing that? And I said, well, I have to do the same thing with both hands, and I don't know why. And then I got up to go to the bathroom and I was walking like this. <laughs> she said, why are you doing that? I said, my center of gravity is very low right now. <laughs> <laughs> no, yeah, that wasn't a real physical thing. That was like you're doing. And then, uh, let's see, oh yeah, and then uh, like 3 o'clock in the morning, I got up. I went to bed. I used to go for a walk at night, and that's how I broke my leg, because I don't, I don't go for walks anymore. <laughs> no, no, it wasn't that night. <laughs> wasn't that night. Uh, I used to go for a walk before I went to bed. I stopped doing it when I broke my leg one night. But my wife said to me, you're not going for a walk tonight, are you? I said, no. And I went to bed, and then about 3 o'clock in the morning, as one does, I got up to go pee. And I, I thought, well, I looked, I looked at the clock, went, oh, it'll be, it'll be uh, I'm sure it's gone now. Oh, no, it's not. Okay. Yeah, that was unpleasant. It's funny, even when you know all about the stuff, you can, and it's different now. Like, if I, I don't take too much because I know exactly the amount for the right effect and everything. But even if I do, it's like, I know this will go away. It will be fine. Or sometimes I'll be sitting there at night if I'm stoned and I'll think to myself, like some weird thought. Usually some weird, and it oftentimes some, some either some paranoid thing, right? Because that's sometimes an effect of, of THC. So sometimes I'll be sitting there and I'll be thinking, what if the house burned down right now? <laughs> and we, have had a, we did have a house fire in 2012. So the house didn't burn down, but we had a fire. So it comes to mind now and then. And then I'll be thinking, and then what will I do? I'll have to, and then, then the other part of my me says, Dave, that's a drug effect. Stop it. Then I go, okay, I'm just a little paranoid. I'll be fine. Uh, but yeah, drugs are wild. <laughs> when you realize the effects they have, it's a lot, you know, it's not as scary. But the rate is constant when you take it orally. So when I take, and I, that's, I, I don't smoke anymore. So because of that, I don't get the really heavy hit that you get, say, for example, when you take a hit on a wall or something, right? It's not as fun as you know, using a uh, hookah is or something like that. 
Once the drug's absorbed, it has to get past the blood, the blood-brain barrier, which is always so hard to say, and it gets through that membrane either through active transport or passive transport. Passive transport is just the fusion. Active transport is usually some transport protein comes along and pulls it along. Uh, sometimes you get protein binding that'll stop some molecules from getting through. And eventually it's taken to the bloodstream by the kidneys and the liver, you know. And we then measure that. We measure how long it takes to metabolize a drug in half-life. So how much time does it take for half the drug to be removed from your body? Right, so the half-life of, uh, John, you've asked a lot about caffeine, the half-life of caffeine is, if you're a user, about, well, between 30 minutes and uh, three hours. Most people, it's around an hour. So after, if you do 100 milligrams of caffeine, which is about what would be in this cup of coffee, in an hour, there will be 50 milligrams of caffeine in my body. In another hour, there will be 25. In another hour, there will be 12 and a half, and you can keep, keep halving that through. Sean, right? Yeah, I was going to say, uh, did you say that the, uh, well, I was also going to but like, if you're a user, it yeah. lasts the last time. Mm -hmm. I didn't quite realize. It's tolerance. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, that's pretty yeah. good. Yeah, so it's just tolerance. Uh, you're, you're, you have, your body gets more efficient at removing it. You're also, the, one of the bigger things, as I mentioned before, is the behavioral tolerance. The fact that you know what to expect. And if you know what to expect, you know how to behave such that you're not as impaired. When you, when you think about the first time you ever, if, if you've ever done cannabis, you think about the first time you did it, you expected it to feel like drinking, because the first psychoactive drug most of us take in any recreational quantity is alcohol. And the first time you, you'll, you'll see this a lot, people will smoke weed for the first time, and I'm not feeling anything. I'm not feeling it. I don't know what no, you just don't know what, the, what it's supposed to feel like yet, right? I know, uh, I remember my wife once said, well, I don't know, it's not affecting me, but I can't feel my face. I said, oh, it's affecting you. <laughs> if you can't feel your face, I think that's a drug effect. What's there? It's usually something like just cornstarch, like a pill. It's usually just like it's usually cornstarch or something cheap like that. So it's not going to be effective. So it doesn't like take it down. I would worry about that. Yep. So what? So how do you get across the membrane through a passive? Oh, body? how does that work? It depends on the drug. So. Uh, some drugs get through through active through that through sort of passive transport, which is diffusion. It just it just goes through. But other times it's active transport, so there'll be a mechanism where a transport protein will grab on the drug and pull it through. That's an analogy, basically. That comes out, so it pulls it yeah. Other questions? I wonder if I want to do the next slide or not. It's eleven thirty. Yeah, I, I, can, I know the time. I'm just going to see what we're going to do next. Yeah. All right. I think we'll start the next one. Okay, what affects metabolism? 
all the things, I was talking about this before, age, sex, whoops, what are we doing here? Uh, species, uh, a lot of, this is one of the interesting things is a lot of the drugs that we look at, they're, you know, they, they, they get validated, uh, special therapeutic things on non-humans, um, and species matters. One of the great places it matters is caffeine. Um, no other animal on this planet metabolizes caffeine the way adult humans do. We are caffeine metabolizing machines. Okay? Um, as I said, the half-life of caffeine in most of us is probably around an hour, maybe less. Somewhere between half an hour and an hour and maybe three hours, but it's probably closer to an hour, 45 minutes most of us. You know this for a, a dog? It's three and a half days. Yeah, same as it is in a small child. Don't give little kids Pepsi, Coke, coffee. I've not seen a lot of two-year-olds drinking coffee, but it's the only human adult. But if you ever see someone, I, I often think about this, where you see somebody who's giving their kids like a Coke and their kid's like 18 months old, I think to myself, boy, I hope you're not busy for the next week. Because your kid's not sleeping, man. Yeah, I, so not, no other species, and in fact, within humans, even age group, uh, metabolizes caffeine when humans. It's a wild thing, it just is. Uh, so caffeine to a monkey is an entirely different experience than it is to all of us. And on that note, we'll pack it in for today, and we'll talk again on Monday. Thanks, everybody.
So thanks for listening uh, to the lecture. I hope you got something out of it, as I noted in the intro. Um, these are copyrighted, uh, share like 3.0 Canada, uh, some rights reserved. So you can redistribute this all you want, but if you redistribute it, uh, you can't make any money off of it. Uh, and also, uh, if you mash it up, I get to mash up your stuff. Uh, most of the mu the vast majority of the music I found was on an old website called GarageBand, which doesn't exist anymore. Uh, and then it was called PodSafe Music. So this is all music that I have, uh, that it's perfectly reasonable to uh, put on these podcasts. Uh, if you are interested, I can oftentimes find the, the name of the band. The name of the band will be listed in the post. And uh, go look these bands up and, and buy their music, because um, if they're cool enough to let me use this, you should be cool enough to pay 99 cents or whatever to buy one of their songs. Uh, on that note, I will see you next time. <laughs>